We live in a get-even society. Someone makes a joke about someone's wife that they don't like, and they punch them on global television. If we, we aren't interested in hearing what someone says, we can unlike them or disconnect them from our social media, that we unplug them. We, don't, we, can, we can force people out of our networks because of something that they've done. There's a slogan, don't get mad, get even. And it's real popular. People like it. If you do something I don't like, I'll take you to court and sue you. If you said to me, I don't like your politics, I'll say, I'm going to unfriend you on social media. (laughs) If that teacher gave my kid a bad grade, I'm going to go to the school administration and get them fired. There are so many examples. I, I, I searched, I just went to the Wall Street Journal, started flipping through. There are so many examples of getting even in our society. And they're celebrated. And not even just in our American society, but, but think of around the globe. Someone was mad and shot the prime minister of Japan. This vengeance. This is vengeance. This is getting even. Many speculated that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is driven by Putin's personal vengeance against the West and its role in the fall of the Soviet Union, which happened over 30 years ago. That's a long time to harbor a grudge. And, and, and just not just current day, vengeance is a historical phenomenon. 2,000 years ago, you know this story, John the Baptist had an unfortunate interaction with a man named Philip. Philip was the brother of Herod the Great. He married his brother's daughter, his niece, Herodias. And John the Baptist explained, I mean, my summary would be yuck, but I think he he used more words than that. He explained that it wasn't lawful. It wasn't appropriate that he had married his niece. And the entire family, especially Herodias, was offended. And so she schemed a plan of vengeance. And ultimately, we know what happened. John the Baptist was not only beheaded, but his head was famously delivered on a platter in front of a large party. That's vengeance. I read a story about Dachau, a concentration camp in Poland uh, that was liberated at the end of World War II. And the American forces that went there for the liberation discovered uh, what has now become known as the death train. It was 39 rail cars filled with corpses, hundreds and hundreds of corpses. And the U.S. troops came and were surprised to see it. They knew nonsense had been going on there, but they didn't realize how vicious and vile it was. And they were so enraged that they lined up any remaining Nazi officers against a wall and mowed them down by machine gun. And some of us go, serves them right. But that was a war crime. The war was over. They took their own vengeance. 
And in fact, it was, it, the war crime was covered up because those troops should have been prosecuted for it. And we, we only learned of it about 20 years ago when the records were declassified. And many soldiers that hear that understand because they see the atrocities done. And perhaps you do too. If you were at Dachau, I don't know if you or I were there, if we would have had any sort of different response when we saw something that horrific. Humans have a tendency to want to do something about a wrong, to right a wrong, to avenge a wrong, to get payback. Marvels, the comic books and movies, say that it's heroic to avenge. It's a whole series about the Avengers. <laughs> but clearly, Romans 12 has a different message for us, a bit of a different perspective. And so today, we're going to answer two main questions about vengeance. First, what does Scripture say about vengeance? And second, especially since this is where Paul has us in this letter, what should a Christian do about it? How should a Christian respond? So let's start with what is vengeance. And let's start at the beginning of our section here in Romans 12 with verse number 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. Vengeance, if we're trying to describe it, is payback. It is repaying evil for evil. It's inflicting pain or punishment on someone because of something they did to you or someone you care about. And it is any type of payback, any type. So I knew a person once who got in a, an argument with a friend and actually went back and unliked the social media posts of that friend because they had this argument and she didn't want the friend to have the pleasure of knowing that her posts had been liked. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty silly, but it's vengeance. Whether you're mowing down uh, Nazi officers with a machine gun or you're simply unliking Seems like it's not that big a deal. Will every, anyone really notice? It's still, it's vengeance. It's, it's some sort of payback. So perhaps you don't consider yourself a vengeful person. That's fine. I'm sure most of you in here don't make a, a lifestyle of vengeance. But if you're really honest with yourself, you, are no, you know that there are times that you kind of want to repay evil for evil. There are times when you might scheme Maybe you're not going to do anything, but you really hope that something terrible happens to that person. <laughs> or do you ever replay in your mind that the thing that you wish you had said when that person said something rude to you? Oh, if only I was re ready, would this come back? So you may not be a vengeful person, but your flesh, my flesh, is ready to avenge. We're there. We stand ready. And it's so tempting. It's so impossible sometimes to get those thoughts out of our minds. And so what is it that triggers our flesh? What is it that, that makes us want to repay evil for evil? So much so that Paul has to write, you shouldn't do that. 
It's not obvious enough because there's so much in there that Paul has to address. <laughs> you can't do this. And the answer, what triggers our flesh to want to avenge, is that when we feel wronged, and someone does something to us that makes us feel bad, and when you feel bad, there's a desire to make yourself feel good. And the flesh says, it'll feel great to make them pay. You feel bad? Wait, you'll feel great if you make them pay. Or you'll just feel great if they pay. And then you start down the road of, well, how can I, how can I help that process along? So if vengeance is payback, vengeance is payback, if that's, if that's kind of the definition of payback, what else is Paul trying to tell us to help us define, okay, so, okay, so payback, pay can you help us, can you help me a little bit more? Well, in, our, in the next verse, verse 18 of Romans 12, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably for all, with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. When, you, when we start hearing things like wrath in the, in this, in the scripture, you go, there's something underlying that's, that's probably provoking vengeance, and that has to do with anger. So vengeance is often tied to anger. If somebody tells you, I'm going to take my revenge, are they usually happy? Are they, are they, are they blissful about the revenge they're about to take? No, they're, they're usually angry, perhaps even hostile, right? Perhaps, perhaps they're so irrational, you can't even negotiate with them to maybe change their approach. Vengeance is not a happy thing. Our pastor, a couple of months ago, um, had mentioned vengeance in a sermon in Ephesians, and he said, no one is more like Satan than when they are trying to exercise their own vengeance. It's a heavy and angry place to be. And even if those emotions don't surface, they're not clear in the moment, we know that the vengeance is motivated by anger. It's that, that leave it to the wrath of God that tells us that. The, the, the text is helping us say, not your own wrath, not your own anger, it's God's wrath. Which, by the way, your own wrath is sinful. God's wrath is perfect. So there are very, very big differences between those wraths. But vengeance is angry. How do we, how do we then know if, if vengeance is payback and vengeance is angry? How do we know if... So there is something called vengeance. How do we know if that's happening? How do we know if... So what, how do we recognize vengeance? We recognize vengeance, the right vengeance, because of what Paul says next. For it is written, verse 19, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we're trying to put together a picture of vengeance, what vengeance is. It's this angry payback. Now we learn that vengeance is the Lord's. Now, I've, I've just spent time painting a picture and giving you examples of how vengeance is pretty bad. It, 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 it's it's an, this angry payback thing that Christians are to avoid. 
So it could be confusing at first to say, this angry payback thing, that's for God only. Well, he's not an angry payback guy, is he? Yeah. Yeah, he is. And so let's explore this a little bit. And I believe in exploring these famous words from God, we'll not only learn more about his character, but also come to realize why vengeance is only for him and not for us. As we study scripture, it's really helpful to pay attention to everything. And these words are in quotes in verse 19. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So that came from somewhere else. And maybe in some of your translations, it's even in a different font. It helps you recognize there's something here that I have to take note of in scripture. So I want to explore that more. And so as we explore that, we will find that Deuteronomy 32 is where that quote comes from. So let's go there. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. And that phrase is is available in a couple of other Bible verses we'll look at in a minute, but this is the first place that it appears, is Deuteronomy 32. It's part of the Bible that's given through Moses. It's a section that was actually a song or a poem that Moses recited to the people of Israel. So this was when they were wandering in the wilderness, uh, and he had a lot to to instruct them. He he knew he wasn't going into the promised land, so he was going to give a lot of information uh, to those wandering Israelites about God. And this came in the form of a poem. So all of chapter 32 is, is this song or poem that, that Moses recited through the inspiration of the, of the Spirit. Uh, and, and, the, and the whole tribe would have been assembled to hear it. And so we, we get down to verse 35 is where we find our quote from Romans 12. Verse 35 of Deuteronomy 32 says, vengeance is mine and recompense, which is, and I will repay for the time when their foot shall slip for the day when their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly for the Lord will vindicate his people and have passion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is nothing remaining bond or free. Like much of the Old Testament, God is using a prophet, the prophet Moses, to warn Israel that he is ultimately going to judge all people. And when he judges, he will take vengeance on those who do evil. So that's what it means by the, the day of their calamity is at hand. You see that? That's, that's the day of their judgment is at hand. It's, this is going to be, I'm going to judge the evil that people do. And then he has compassion. So he's going to judge the evil people. And then he's going to have compassion on who? On who? He will vindicate his people, his people, the faithful. He will have compassion on those who serve him. Who are those who serve him? Believers. In the, in the time of Israel, they were believers who were hopeful in the Messiah. In our time, they're believers who trust in the Messiah. We're the same in that we have faith that God is going to judge, that we don't have to, because God is the judge. And so what he's saying to Israel in this moment is, they're going to, there's going to be a moment where I'm going to separate the wheat from the tares. We've heard that we hear this all through scripture. This is the first time that it really starts coming together. 
And so, and, and, and by the way, we don't hear that he needs any help with his vengeance. There's nothing that he's asking of Israel in this passage. He's not saying, hey, by the way, I have this vengeance plan. And if you guys can get on board because we're going to all just do this together. No, we are not needed for God's vengeance. So let's look a little bit more. We're going to go really quick, and you don't have to flip because I've got it all on the, on the screen. I just want to do a, a, a fast, what does vengeance look like in the Old Testament from here? This is when we, we intro, get introduced to it in Deuteronomy 32. And now we get to learn a little bit more because it starts coming out over time as Israel does its thing throughout the whole the Old Testament, and God does his thing. So Joshua 22, 23. May the Lord himself take vengeance. And that's kind of in the context of if offerings were made in the wrong way. 1 Samuel 20, 16. And John, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Psalm 94, 1. O Lord, God of vengeance. O God of vengeance, shine forth. Psalm 149, 6 through 7. Let the high priests of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments of the peoples. Isaiah, and Isaiah has a lot about vengeance, so does Jeremiah. Uh, Isaiah 34, 8 is kind of a summary of that. For the Lord has a day of vengeance a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Jeremiah 11, 20. But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your your vengeance upon them. For you you have, uh, have I committed my cause. For to you have I committed my cause. Jeremiah 15, 15. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance on my persecutors. By the way, I'm going to stop here. We have more to say. Who is the actor in any of these? Any of these, who is the actor? You see, it's your vengeance. It's God, your God, your God, over and over again. We do not see, and then somebody took vengeance. Jeremiah 51.11, be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering to her. Who's he? God. Ezekiel 25.17, I will execute, I as God, great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. Micah 5.15, And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Nahum 1-2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging the wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Did you realize that there was that much vengeance in the Old Testament? You might be going, okay, Matt, I get it. I'm listening to your weak voice read lots of vengeance scriptures right now. But did you catch it? 
Did you really catch all of that? Did you notice that not once in 929 chapters of the Old Testament did righteous vengeance come from somebody besides God? There were some times that people tried to take vengeance on one another, and it didn't go well for them. Saul did a lot, and he lost his kingdom. God takes vengeance. It is his to take. Vengeance is part of his character. It's part of who he is and what he does and not what we do. Vengeance is his over and over and over again. We just read 20 verses of vengeance being God's. So what's the point? What's the point of this last point in this question that vengeance is the Lord's. It's because it's not ours. We have to understand that first and foremost, if you're like, well, I just, I want to learn how to not be so vengeful, have a better view of who your God is and what his job is. Stop thinking of yourself as him. Be who you are made to be, which is submissive to his character, to who his, he is in the world, to what his means are to exercise vengeance. Don't try to be God. The problem, oh gosh, vengeance is sneaky. The problem is not that vengeance is sneaky. It's that our view of God is wrong. We don't understand that God's vengeance reigns supreme over and over and over. Everywhere you look in scripture, let's look at the New Testament. So turn to 2 Thessalonians 1. I think you're in Deuteronomy still. Uh, so that's 2 Thessalonians 1. So at the outset of this letter also written by Paul, I would say that we'll see uh, more of a predictory vengeance here. So Paul's kind of talking about the end times to the Thessalonians. And we're going to see here that we, we just saw what God's vengeance was like in the past. And now we're going to see what God's vengeance is like in the future judgment. So Second uh, Thessalonians 1, 6, we'll read through verse 9. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to pause. I told our high schoolers last week, if you want like a really big climax scene like from a Marvel movie, this, this, this makes everything look pale in comparison. Right? Like, I'm just going to read it again. In flaming fire, it, he's revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. It's the same promise as Deuteronomy 32. 
God's vengeance applies to everybody. And those who do not know him will be avenged. Those who do will be spared. And I'll just take a moment. If you are new to our church or uh, this is all very new to you, it's important for you to understand that there are only two categories of those who will uh, have a... uh, uh, There are two categories of, of, of people who in the end times will be present. And they're the same two categories that exist today. It's either those who know the Lord or those who don't. And those who don't are called his enemies. And he will avenge those and he will spare the ones who are faithful. It was his promise in Deuteronomy 32 to the Israelites. It's his promise uh, to the Thessalonians in this letter, and it's, it's the promise today. So why is it helpful to get this detailed about God's vengeance? Why have I spent this much time exploring what Scripture says? Because when you understand God's vengeance, it makes it clear that you have no business executing your own. So I could stop there and say the application is, you have a God who does it, so stop. That's enough. When God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, he also says, vengeance is not yours, do not repay. By the way, there are some other things that God says are his. Salvation, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord, Psalm 3.8. Dominion, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. That's also in Psalm, Psalm 22. Protection, for our shield belongs to the Lord, our king to only one of Israel. Victory, we love that. Victory belongs to the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 21, 31 is a fun one. The The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The list goes on of things that belong to the Lord. Yet vengeance seems to still be in a category of its own for two reasons, and this is why we we always like to look at the text. It's the only one that is quoted in the first person. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I think that's significant. There's something even more personal about vengeance than any of the other uh, things that belong to the Lord. And the second is that it's repeated verbatim twice in the New Testament, here in Romans 12 and then also in Hebrews 10 as the quote from, from Deuteronomy 32. So when you see something that, that is first person from the Lord and that's repeated several times, it should cause us to even take note further. God is really showing us something through his word that we need to pay attention to. And it's to, it's to really hammer home that whole idea that he hasn't just told us once or twice, but three times and then given us examples littered through scripture that vengeance belongs to him and him alone. And I'll just, I'll, the, the, the picture that comes to my mind is um, every country has an arsenal of weapons. And the military are given guns and missiles and uh, armored vehicles in case of times of war. And then there's this, this other thing that countries can use, some countries have, ours does, a nuclear bomb. And the nuclear bomb is operated only by the commander-in-chief. He has the access. He has the the codes and the briefcase thing. In the most intensive battles, a regular soldier 
does not have access, does not have authority, may feel like it's a good time to use it, but can't make the decision about nuclear warfare. And that's a good thing. It was not, it's never his to use. The commander in chief is the only one to use it. In that same way, we have no business exercising any type of vengeance against someone. That's God's. He's given us some other tools, and we will talk about those in a moment. But no matter how great the offense, no matter how dismal things seem, or how easy you could do it and maybe even get away with it, it's not yours. The codes, the briefcase, belongs to God. And so you ask, how should I handle these situations? We, we started this study talking about how easy it is. Our flesh really wants to get payback. How do we handle the situations where something happens to me, someone does something to me that really hurts or offends me? Or isn't there any situation? Come on, Matt. Come on, Bible. There has to be a situation where it might be appropriate for us to get some sort of payback. Well, you know what the answer is. It's no. <laughs> Leviticus 19 uh, tells us that, and I have it up here so you don't have to turn there. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Sin can come into your life because of your response to someone else's sin. Do you see that? And it's not that someone made you sin. It's that you decided to sin in response to their sin. Sin begets sin. It's true. It's hard. The next verse says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. And by the way, those are kind of in their cousins, right? So you, you may not be planning something, but you're giving someone the silent treatment, it's the same. It's vengeance. It's all in the same category. And so you, you shouldn't do either of those against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then just a quick reminder, I am the Lord. And why does he put that there? Again, those four words are there for a reason. We always look at why they're there. Well, because it's a reminder that vengeance belongs to him. Even in Leviticus, Hearkening back to that truth. What we see here in this passage in particular is vengeance is just in contrast to love. And Christians are called to love, even when we're mistreated, even when feelings are hurt, even when it seems like someone's getting away with it. I can't let them get away with it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's, it's fine. What does it have to do with you? I have this, um, my wife says I have a strong sense of justice. Uh, yes, it is polite. She is a polite person. Um, I've learned to um, click down on some of the polite things she says and uh, see what, what's lying underneath. And it's true that um, even when I'm driving a car, I, I, can, I want, I hope someone who's speeding gets in an accident. I, that, wouldn't that be justice? Or, ha-ha, you know, toot when they, you know, get pulled on, over by a, by a cop, and you're like, hi, you know, you're the one that passed me. We just have this, 
this desire to, to do that. And so what should you do? What should we do? How, do? how can we be Christians in this flesh that wants to get payback? Well, back to the text, uh, Romans 12. In verse 18, which we kind of skipped over a little bit, uh, because what, what Paul does here, and this is really helpful, is he gives us some truths about vengeance and then tells us what we should do, and then another truth about vengeance and then what we should do. And so I kind of split them up to here's what vengeance is and here's what we should do, but it's kind of it's, it's woven throughout and it's really helpful. So we have one truth about vengeance in, in verse 17, um, which is vengeance is payback. And then verse 18, he, he says, if possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So vengeance is payback, and the antithesis of payback is living peaceably, right? So we see that contrast. So number one, what should a Christian do is pursue peace. And I would add, at all costs. Pursue peace at all costs, even if it costs you your pride, your reputation. You co- it costs you the... Uh, the satisfaction of seeing them get what's done to them. Romans isn't the only place that Christians are called to peace, of course. Um, so we could take a look at Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew 5 is, is the famous Sermon on the Mount, and it starts with the, what's known as the Beatitudes, or just the blessings. And at the end of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 9 through 12, it says... These are Jesus' words, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So we see that that those who are children of God are peacemakers. They're the ones pursuing peace. This isn't new. And there's not a lot that you're going to learn that's new in in this section of what should Christians do. This This is core. But what's interesting is how much of what God has already told us to do applies to this really tricky thing of vengeance. So... Uh, so pursuing peace, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes for though theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. So that seems like something you should be able to take vengeance on. Like if we're looking for exceptions to the rule, like there's someone who's actually uttering evil against me and they're telling lies about me. Can't I at least avenge? Well, you can correct. You can say, well, that's a lie, but not in order to get back, just to make sure that your reputation is clear. That's fine. But you have to be really clear about that because it's easy for you to to go, well, I'm going to set the record straight, and in doing so, I'm going to call that person an idiot. (laughs) Those are two different things. So they persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Even if you don't set the record straight with, with your network, well, I don't believe that. They, they were wrong. They were lying about me. Your reward is in heaven. God knows your heart. So they also persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's Jesus' reminder that you aren't the first person to be lied about. You're not the first follower of God who has been made fun of. 
There is a long list of those who have gone before us who have taken it in stride. And theirs is the crown of glory in heaven. Are you a person who's marked by peace? Let's go back to Romans 12. Or is your life marked with strife? Even in your own household. Is there always drama going on? Is it drama that's like, oh, well, that was a misunderstanding, or I've got to clarify that? Or are you always trying to fix something that you did and people are upset or you're upset with them? Are you looking for opportunities to pay someone back for something they said or did? Or are you striving to live peaceably with all as Paul is challenging us to? So Christians are not only called to pursue peace, but Christ says peace is actually a blessing that awaits the Christian who believes. That's part of the the Beatitudes. So why would you forsake the blessing? That's what you're doing when you're stirring up this strife. You're forsaking the blessing that he has promised to us on this side of heaven. Yes, heaven is going to be eternally peaceful, but we could have it here because we have the peace that surpasses understanding through Christ. Why wouldn't that be something that we just pursue over and over again in our own lives? And I know it's hard. I know that sounds like a simplification, that the web of of challenges and relational difficulties make it so hard to pursue peace. But if you're truly pursuing peace for the sake of Christ, then you should never question whether it's the right thing to do. Let's look at one more, uh, second thing that that, um, Paul talks about here in Romans uh, 12, back in Romans 12, uh, and that is that we should trust the Lord, that we should trust the Lord. So in verse 19, uh, he says, and we've, we've looked at this already, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Leave it means it's almost like uh, in a crime movie, someone's, uh, you know, someone's got a gun pointed at someone and the, the cops show up and said, drop your weapons. Drop your weapon. You gotta, that's what leave it is. Leave it. You want to do something. I know you've got plans. You're ready. Something bad happened. You're going to avenge the wrong because that feels good. And because you think that that's kind of your role. It's like, well, you're you're going to come in and you're going to correct everything. And, and, and Paul says, leave it. Drop it. Drop your weapon. Leave it to the wrath of God. God's got the bigger weapon. We just talked about this. He's got the bigger weapon, so leave it. We can't help ourselves sometimes, right? We want to, the, we, we, we want to do the vengeance is mine, not God's, and, and we have to leave it. And so we have to trust that the Lord will take care of that. When, when, a, when someone drops their weapon, they, they know that there's something bigger going to take over. When we leave it, we know that God's bigger plan will take over in that moment. We may not see it right away. But when he says, vengeance is mine, we know he's more powerful. We know he's more trustworthy. We know he keeps that promise, like he keeps every other promise. 
So taking matters into our own hands is not only disobedient, it's the lesser choice. He's better. He's always better. His plan for vengeance is going to be better than ours. This tells us so much about the character of God. It tells us so much of of his heavenly paternal role. Just like a dad cares for his child when something goes wrong, our heavenly father is going to plan what needs to happen when we've been wronged. And we may not see it. We may never see it. But he says to me, Christian, Christian, you walk by faith. You walk by faith, you leave it, and you let me handle the matter for you. Because I will handle it in a just manner. If this person has injured you, I'll take care of him. And I know how to do that better than you do. That's the heart of a father who loves his children. And we touched on this just briefly, but the Lord does exercise his vengeance regularly. We saw times when he exercises. We're not just waiting till the end times, right? So we saw that he was constantly exercising his vengeance either against Israel or um, on Israel. (laughs) Um, But there's always vengeance kind of coming up, popping up in the Old Testament. In that same way, uh, we, we have opportunities to see God's vengeance exercised today on this side of the cross. Uh, So remember, Romans 12 is followed by the famous Romans 13. And Romans 13 talks about our authorities that have been placed on earth. So let's just look at that really quick. Romans 13, 2 says, remember that the chapter splits came later, right? So this is all kind of one narrative It starts kind of going into this idea of submitting to authorities. Therefore, uh, chapter 13, verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And then if you jump to verse 4, for he is, for he, that's the, the authority figure, is God's servant for your good. But if you, if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Look at that. God has put in place people and authorities to handle his vengeance. We might say they're not doing it right. Not your problem. Not your problem. He's still sovereign. Do you believe he's sovereign? Do you believe he put Joe Biden in office, then act like it, right? That's what he's saying. I put those authorities there and you don't know better than me. So don't try to take your own vengeance. Don't try to to, to pretend that you know how to take vengeance better than God. Let God do what God was meant to do. Vengeance is his. If someone does something to you that is against the law, God's put a structure in place to deal with that. But recognize that that's the Lord's provision. And the act of punishing for someone for a crime is not in your hands. So trust that structure, demonstrating your trust in God. In the end, 
Vengeance is the Lord's, and we must be faithful to yield that authority to him and him alone. And it's in that moment that we humbly submit to God's authority, right? We, can, we no longer feel this fleshly need to avenge. We don't need the feel-good moment isn't about our getting that vengeance or our getting that payback. The feel-good moment is the act of forgiveness. It's the moving on. It's the reconciling. That's what should feel good. Why is it that the feel-good moment to us feels like that moment when they feel the pain? No. The feel-good moment for a Christian, when someone has wronged you, is when you reconcile and they feel the love, not the pain. And so that brings us to verse 20 of Romans 12. So back in Romans 12. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Oh. Now people get really excited, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to heap burning coals. No, no. It's a word picture that explains when someone has a guilty conscience, it's, it's heavy. Right? That's all it says. You're not, you know, no, they, like we're not going back toward the vengeance thing. What we're saying is that that, that, that that kind of treatment is so contrary to what someone would expect when they wronged you that their own conscience is, is pierced by that. That's what we're, that's what we're seeing here. And so, and so let's, let's, let's look at what does this really mean is it means you're forgiving completely. It means that your, your enemy, who is hungry, is getting food from you. The person who wronged you is being blessed by you. I mean, imagine how a statement like, this is a Roman society. They were all about an eye for an eye. That was their thing. So imagine how foreign this concept would be that you would feed your enemy it's pretty outrageous. But here's what I think it's really important to know. If you are commanded to feed your enemy, you have to know when they're hungry. So this doesn't just say, yeah, I'm going to, okay, fine, I'm going to forgive you and we're going to go on our way. This, this signifies a relationship. It hearkens to something deeper than just basic, we're good. It means that when forgiveness completely happens, when you have completely forgiven someone, you're actually interested in their well-being. And you pay attention to it over and over again. That is what complete forgiveness looks like. It mends the relationship. And, and this, comes, uh, this comes up elsewhere in Paul's writings. So Ephesians 4 31 through 32, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And this is what I love is when Paul says, put something away, he tells us what to put on, right? He does this in Colossians 2, which we'll see in a minute. Be kind, verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's not enough just to put wrath away. You have to put on forgiveness. You have to put on tenderhearted love. So some of us think that 
there's this thing called forgive and forget. Um, and then there's this forgive and not forget. I'm going to forgive you, but I'm never going to forget. Uh, no, you forget. You forget it completely. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. If you've been saved by God, you've been forgiven completely. He doesn't just forgive partially or go, okay, I guess we're cool. He then gives you his spirit and the blessings of being, of walking a, a life of, of, of uh, Christian uh, love and grace for the rest of your time on earth. And then he gives you a room in his house. So in, ter- in turn, we've been given all that. Can't we just completely forgive everyone else? Because we did something worse against God than they ever did to us. Vengeance is not complete forgiveness. Vengeance says, I'll forgive you, but I'll also get even. Don't do that. Don't say you forgive and then scheme. Say you forgive and then let all bitterness and wrath be put away from you. Say you forgive and then show it by treating your enemy as a friend. Maybe there's someone in your life that you have not completely forgiven. Maybe they're even in this room. Did you know that withholding forgiveness is actually a form of vengeance? And if you're waiting for them to apologize, that's not biblical. We'll forgive once they say, I'm sorry. No, that's vengeance. This is why it's sneaky. Perhaps you say you've forgiven them, but you've decided you're just going to never speak to that person anymore. That's vengeance. The silent treatment is vengeance. How, you, how will you be able to feed that person if you've never spoken to them since? If he's thirsty, how will you ever find out? The silent treatment, vengeance. Cold shoulder, vengeance. Sneaky. Forgive when they say, I'm sorry. Vengeance. See how sneaky it is? So this is why I had that subtitle of that this is kind of like, it, it can be one of those respectable sins, unforgiveness. Because you could even tell a story about, on the church patio, about, yeah, well, you know, they did that to me and I've totally forgiven them, but, you know, I think it's just better for us to never talk again. And, and people can start, commiserating. I totally understand why you two aren't on speaking terms. What he did was really hurtful. I went, yeah, I, I don't blame you. I understand that. You're, you're protecting yourself. Or some things I've heard, and you kind of hear all sorts of things when you're an elder. Um, I can't believe how many people say, it's fine, I've forgiven them, but I, hope, I really hope they get church disciplined. <laughs> So just let's, let's rewind the tape. I don't think your first statement is true. <laughs> I've also heard, I wish they'd find another church. 
it's really unpleasant. I mean, I'm fine, we're fine, but it's really just unpleasant to see them on Sunday <laughs> when I think of what they did to me. Okay, so again, you didn't forgive. But do you see how, the, how respectable unforgiveness can be? Like, oh gosh, yeah, I, mean, I can imagine. Like, what they did was really hard, and it must be hard to see that person. That's not complete forgiveness. And by the way, I'm talking about this in the context of the church. Paul is writing in the context of the whole world. He's not just saying treat believers like this. He's talking about unbelievers, too, who do far worse. Don't delay forgiveness. Don't put conditions around it. Don't forgive and hope that something bad happens. Forgive just as the Lord has forgiven you. I mean, who are you, right, to, to say, oh, I get to forgive and then kind of high horse it for the rest of our my life against that person. And so he ends, and this is where we will, in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, don't be preoccupied with the evil that was done to you. How many times, how much brain space we, we spend running through the, the things that we don't like that were done to us. We spend so much time thinking about it. I know I'm a human. I'm in relationship. I get it. But don't let vengeance sneak into your response. It's so sneaky. Instead, and that's what that second phrase is, so don't be overcome by evil. Don't be preoccupied with with what was done to you. Instead, be preoccupied by doing the exact opposite of what was done to you. Love, pursue peace, trust the Lord, and forgive completely. That's what Paul has for us. And so just in closing, I would ask, what's the work that the Lord is doing in your heart as you hear these words? Not my words. These are his words, and they're so good. They're so good, and they do not return void. There is something here for every single person who's listening. And I know that not only because we know the, that, the, that God's doesn't, word doesn't return void, but also because you chose to come to this seminar. So not only are you hearing from God's word, which is precious and palpable, but you, you found an, an interest and a desire to hear a message on this topic. Why? Are you having a hard time forgiving? Do you really understand what God's vengeance is for and why it's not for you? Do you spend too much time trying to figure out how you can sneakily avenge a wrong that was done? Has someone, have you done something wrong and someone just won't forgive you and you're the victim of vengeance? Whatever the answer to any of those questions, you will find it in pursuing peace, trusting the Lord, and forgiving completely in all of your relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this has been a tremendously helpful study for me, for my heart, and I pray for the hearts of these people. Thank you for your flock. I thank you that uh, you gave us good news that followed the bad news. 
You helped us to understand that there is a way out of our sin and that uh, so many in this room have chosen to follow you. And now, God, we know that that path is laid out clearly, both in Scripture and in those that we um, are followed and follow and discipled by. And we thank you, God, for, for those in our lives who uh, bring the word to life in many ways. God, I pray for uh, each in this room. I pray that if there is um, some uh, hint of vengeance, that they uh, would put that far from them, that they would find complete forgiveness is the command and the need of a believer. I pray, God, that we would set, be set apart by our unwillingness to avenge, that our, our willingness to turn the other cheek would be what draws others to you, and that we would be a fragrant aroma amidst an outraged society that likes to avenge, that we would be different, set apart. A royal priesthood, as you say in First Peter, God, we thank you, God, that you have set us apart, and we pray that we would be faithful to that. Indeed. We pray these things in your name. Amen.